Hello there and welcome along to Planet Sport Football Africa, a passion for sport production where we look at African football, what's happening around the continent and what African players are doing overseas. I'm Steve Vickers in Harare, Zimbabwe, joined by Ida Waringa in Nairobi, Kenya, and by Stuart Weir in the UK. And on this week's show, we take a look at CAF's statement on their vision to grow the game in Africa and to deal with negative perceptions after so many stories and allegations of abuse of finances at CAF. And also we speak to Ricky Hill, one of the first black players to play for England, on why there are so few black coaches and managers in English football. And those people, detractors that were there the first time around regarding our playing ability can now start all over again regarding our coaching and managerial um, ability. That's coming up shortly, plus Stuart on Euro 2020 as we get ready for the knockout stage. But first, the second legs of the semi-finals of the CAF Champions League are on this Saturday. Kaiser Chiefs of South Africa taking on Widad Casablanca of Morocco. Chiefs lead 1-0 from the first leg. And Al-Athli of Egypt take on Esperance of Tunisia. Al-Athli, the defending champions, won the first leg 1-0. So away wins in both first legs, Ida. Expecting any surprises this weekend? Well, Steve, it's football and anything can happen. And, you know, just because the games come home for Al Ali in Cairo and Kaiser Chiefs in Joburg, well, it doesn't really make anything guaranteed, you know. And of course, all eyes on Pitsoma Semene, a possible second final, Steve, inside of two years for the South African with Al Ali. And I'm sure that will have some of last season's naysayers, you know, maybe swallowing some humble pie, you know, for those who said that, look, his glory and uh, titles last season came, you know, finding the team almost at the very end of the season. Well, he has managed to, you know, coach the team throughout this particular season from start, hopefully to finish. And I'm sure they will be hoping for a title defense, though, Mosemene being cautiously optimistic, Steve, saying, look, we haven't qualified just yet. <laughs> you know, 90 minutes do stand between him and even more history. And looking at Widad, well, they don't have too good of a record in South Africa. Their first game there was back in 2017. That was against the Sundowns. And they actually haven't managed a win, Steve, in six games there since. Though it does have to be said that, you know, life or sport isn't fair because some of these teams are really coming in of very different circumstances, Steve. Looking at Widad, for example, they've played nine games inside of a month, you know, with them, um, of course, looking to pull ahead in the Moroccan League. And some may argue that this has contributed to that surprising loss to Kaiser Chiefs. And Steve, let's not forget that the Chiefs were almost getting sucked into a domestic relegation battle, you know, before turning things around not too long ago. Yet, you know, here they are now looking to make a maiden CAF Champions League finals appearance. And remember that only two South African clubs have done so. Um, Mamelodi Sundowns and Orlando Pirates with both clubs, Steve, having managed to do so twice. Oh yes, it'll be an achievement if Kaiser Chiefs get into the final, those semi-final second legs of the Champions League on this Saturday. 
Now, the Confederation of African Football has given a lengthy statement on their vision under new president Patrice Motsepe, who took over this March. It was a recap on plans to make African football globally competitive and self-sustaining, and also spoke of a desire to put the past behind them. Now, after the new leadership held meetings with current and potential sponsors, with the private sector, with some African heads of state and government ministers and stakeholders in football, CAF concluded that they have a poor and negative perception concerning their adherence to governance, to auditing, ethical, financial, and management good practices. Now, CAF admits that these negative perceptions may, to some extent, be confirmed by the incriminating Price Waterhouse Coopers CAF interim report last month, which identified certain irregular, unethical, and improper transactions and conduct. Now, CAF say they're committed to implementing the recommendations and making sure that such things don't happen again. Well, really important this Ida for CAF to deal with this negative image after so many stories and allegations of abuse of finances. It's extremely important, Steve. The last two years, especially, you know, have been quite damning for CAF with the fraud allegations. You know, previous President Ahmad arrested, investigated, banned. You know, we saw the Continental Body lose the Lagadier marketing deal under what, frankly, were very dubious circumstances. You know, and not forgetting the tactical steel deal. And, of course, all this culminated with FIFA sending its Secretary-General, Fatma Samura, to take care of matters in Cairo because it had seemingly gotten so bad that it was generally assumed, you know, that CAF couldn't take care of its own affairs. So, Steve, safe to say that investor confidence must be at an all-time low. But many would hope, you know, that with a business magnate at the helm now and also not forgetting his election pledge, actually, when he talked about, you know, pulling into his vast network and contacts. So it's hoped that things will look up sooner rather than later. Some of the other issues brought out in the report were the previous regime's over-reliance on making payments in cash, which, you know, of course, was quite suspicious. The chronic understaffing at the continental body, which has resulted in a lot of demotivated staff, and uh, that CAF had been operating all those years since inception, without a code of ethics. So, you know, PWC's audit has also suggested closing down CAF's emergency committee. Now, you know, for those who must be wondering, the emergency committee, Steve, is a group involving the CAF president and any three executive committee members, you know. And the purpose of this group is that it can effectively bypass EXCO and fast-track decision-making, you know, which leaves a lot of gray area. And it also deliberated on limiting the powers of the EXCO itself. Steve, another possible proposal will be creating different avenues for distribution of funds. And if you remember, we actually touched on this particular one not too long ago, you know, with uh, CAF and FIFA mulling over having the specific member associations receive the FIFA forward funds directly because, you know, there were discrepancies noted in the audit when the funds were going through CAF. So ultimately, there's lots to evaluate Lots to decide and hopefully, Steve, lots to implement. 
Yes, so many issues there. We're next here on Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. We're going to look deeper into an issue that we've looked at several times before. Why there are so few black coaches or managers in top flight football in Europe. Now, Stuart's been speaking to Ricky Hill. He's one of the first black players to play for England. That was back in the 1980s. And he spent 13 seasons as a player with Luton Town, taking them to the English top flight. Now, after retiring, Hill was a successful coach in the USA, but he couldn't get a job in the UK with just four months at Luton Town and making many applications for coaching jobs in the UK, but all were unsuccessful. Now, Ricky Hill has written a book called Love of the Game, and the main focus of the book is why there are so few black coaches and managers in the English Premier League and in the English lower divisions too. So Stuart asked Ricky, from his experience, why there are so few black coaches in English football. I guess this is a, probably a $64 million question because there should be no sensible reasoning as to why the transition from elite black player to coach to then elite coach to then manager potentially shouldn't take place. But the truth is it hasn't done in the last 35 years since a lot of us black players from the mid-70s were coming to the end of our careers. And there's been a lot of different reasonings that has been thrown out there, such as you know black players were reluctant to go and get their badges and become fully qualified, which was a load of nonsense that was allowed to permeate throughout the, the industry. So I look at it from, we were first-generation black players initially, where there wasn't an abundance of black players when we broke through. There was lots of different stereotypes typical comments that were made in respect to black players not having the necessary acumen and, and quality and temperament and various other things that were just thrown out there with you know no real history or or information or, or catalogue of information that they could draw from but it was just placed in there just to as an obstacle for black players now imagine we were able to beat that barrier by our individual prowesses as players initially that showed that we could play the game and now the second fight in regards to the equality of opportunity for us as coaches now that's something that our internal skills and our skills that we have are not going to be visible are not going to be evident unless you do get the opportunity to express that so all the um, denials and the, those people detractors that were there the first time around regarding our playing ability can now start all over again regarding our coaching and managerial um, ability and without a doubt unless you are given an opportunity to show that you are capable then there's no way um, anyone can actually take this and say well give me this opportunity I've done this and without any proof of, of body of work then with a, people can always ignore you and say well you don't have the experience he needs to get more experience well how are you going to get more experience if you don't get an opportunity so this is something that has been very much part of my journey in the last 30 years and I've, I've met these obstacles on numerous occasions and so more needs to be done I think it's football has let down the, that generation of black ex-players because it's now perceived that they are incapable of becoming coaches of a, of a high level of standard of coach and obviously as a high level standard as a manager also and I think that's totally wrong and unjust. I thought it was really interesting that parallel that you brought out in the book that initially black players struggled to be accepted 
and there were the stereotypes you know that black players are good on the ball but then they're lazy and they don't track back because these days the stats show that people like Ndidi and Kante make more tackles than anyone else but uh, you're sort of saying that that same battle that you had to fight to be accepted as a player uh, is having to be fought all over again to prove that you can coach Absolutely, but the major difference will be that we were given the platform to show that we could play because we we were required, we had an ability that was there, visible for everyone to see and the managers to desire and then the fans to embrace. Now that same ability lies within us um, as coaches, but there's no platform for us to display that because the industry has or loaded the dice slightly to place out this false perception that black players are incapable of coaching at that highest level and I think unless something, an intervention and reform is taking place whereby people are given an opportunity, I'm not saying that every black player is capable and likewise every black white player is not capable of becoming a manager but the mere facts and the statistics suggest that over the last 30 years there's been numerous white managers that have had repeat opportunities despite having failures in those Opportunities. And it hasn't impeded or deterred them from continuing in their profession. Whereas the elite black player to date hasn't been able to enter the system in regards to get some form of track record, whether that would be good or bad or indifferent. So something needs to be done and I don't think the football industry are taking it seriously enough. Well, that's Ricky Hill. He was one of the first black players to play for England back in the 1980s and then a successful coach in the USA, but he couldn't get a job in the UK just four months at Luton Town, his former club, and making many applications for coaching jobs in the UK, but all were unsuccessful. Uh, so, Stuart, Ricky spoke about the barriers that former black players have in making it as a coach or a manager in the UK. Uh, tell us more about your chat with Ricky and his book. Well, I really enjoyed talking to Ricky Hill. I'm actually old enough to remember watching him play for Luton Town. And that was at a time when Luton Town were either at the top of what we now call the championship or even in the top division itself. I thought his comment that we have let down a generation of black players was a real indictment of the system. It was interesting that he was completely unable to explain why there are so few black coaches at the top level in England. And as you say, despite his successes in coaching in America and in the Caribbean, that he only managed to get one job, and that, as you say, only for a few months. And that job was at his old club, Luton Town, which makes it even more incredible, actually staggering, that as a club legend, he was not even given a full season. And what can a coach do in a few months with a squad of players he has not recruited? And there was a disturbing story, he told me. He had two black coaches on his staff, but was unbelievably told by a senior member of the club that they didn't want to see all three of them sitting on the bench together because the club just didn't want that to be happening. It's hard to describe that as anything other than blatant racism. Ricky made the point that it's very hard for a player to stay in the game when he retires. And just think about it. There are far more players than there are coaching jobs. But Ricky did make the disturbing point that he thinks it's much harder to get a job as a coach for a black player. And just as 
in his day, he felt there was an institutional racial prejudice that black players lacked the character to be top footballers. He thinks there is still that assumption now that black players are less well-suited to being coaches than white ones. In some sports in America, there is in place what is called the Rooney Rule, which requires a club to interview someone from a black Asian or multi-ethnic background for any job. Failure to do so can result in a very heavy fine. Ricky told me that he'd had meetings with football administrators at the highest level in England, explaining how helpful the Rooney Rule had been in America. But it took them years to introduce it, and then only in a rather watered-down version. The facts and the small number of black head coaches in the Premier League and Football League rather speak for themselves. And I'm afraid Ricky's excellent book, Love of the Game, published this year by Pitch Publishing, paints a very depressing picture of the opportunities for black coaches over the years in English football. Yeah, there's still so much that needs to be done in this area. Thanks, Stuart. This is Planet Sport Football Africa, brought to you by Passion for Sport. Still to come, Stuart on Euro 2020 as we get ready for the round of 16 this weekend. You can follow us on Twitter at Planet Sport FA and our website is planetsport.tv. Let's go to social media now. Last week we asked, is Ronaldo now ahead of Messi? Uh, Cristiano Ronaldo made a great start at Euro 2020. Two goals in Portugal's 3-0 win in their opening game against Hungary. And he's become the highest all-time scorer in the history of the Euros. And his desire to win looks as strong as ever. It's a record fifth tournament appearance at the Euros for Ronaldo. Well, meanwhile, Lionel Messi made a good start of the Copa America, scoring with a free kick in Argentina's opening game. So, as the debate continues as to who's the greatest between Ronaldo and Messi, on the show last week we asked, would you say that Ronaldo has now done enough to be rated better than Messi? Well, we had another huge response this week with literally hundreds of comments posted across our various platforms. We can only include some of your answers this week. And with your comments, here's Planet Sport Football Africa's Ifrem Tagu. Thanks, uh, Steve. And we'll start on Facebook with Alimani Kamara in Sierra Leone, who says, please, guys, let's stop this argument. 90% of football-loving fans know that CR7 is the best player of all time because he has approved himself for both club and his national team. Emi Nwanko in Nigeria agrees. Ronaldo is ahead of Messi, says Emi. He's a more complete player. He's played, scored, and broken records everywhere. He has gone for club sides as well as his national team, and his stats are better too. Uh, but P. Ni in Ghana thinks otherwise. The difference is that South America has been the powerhouse of football, says P. Ni. Uh, so for me, Messi is the best. You can't undermine Ronaldo's brilliance, but using the Euros to compare him with Messi is not fair. To be honest, Ronaldo would not score as many goals if he were playing in a South American country. And uh, Brian Sama in uh, Cameroon agrees, why must you bring up this argument to make Ronaldo look better? Messi has no equal in this game, and he is the best, says Brian. Uh, to what's up now, and we've had uh, quite a few voice notes again this week, and we'll start with uh, Thompson Pili in Zambia. Yeah, I think Cristiano Ronaldo is far much better, because of all his contribution, his participation, you know. Messi sometimes is out of the game. He's easily frustrated. He's not a good team player. 
Uh, previously, I used to think Messi was the better player because of mm-hmm. his talent. But Ronaldo, you know, he achieves all what he wants. So I think Cristiano Ronaldo is better compared to Ronaldo Messi. And now we'll hear the views of Ebrima Kante in The Gambia. Personally for me, I'm very lucky that I've witnessed an era of these two amazing, great footballers. But to pick one, I will definitely go with Messi. Messi have something that no player got. Messi can change games. Messi can be a playmaker. And Messi can do some things that are not possible. Messi makes them possible. And like uh, many of our correspondents this week, Ricky Ngulue in Zambia, uh, found it a tough challenge to choose between these two footballing superstars. They are great players, both of them. I'm adamant to respond as to who is the greatest. in Ronaldo has now achieved the record all-time goal scorer in the Euro. I think he's great. And uh, James Wallace Jr. in Malawi makes his decision based on how he sees the difference in terms of leadership qualities of the two players. If you look at the impact of Ronaldo to Portugal, you'll see that it's huge. And he influences the team, he encourages the team. Everything, even the fans are encouraged more than Messi. Messi does his part, of course. But the leading part that the world is waiting upon him to show them something, to lead these guys, to tell them what to do. So James is giving his vote to Ronaldo on the basis that his leadership qualities are stronger than Messi's. And uh, staying with the WhatsApp, Emma in the Gambia says, For me, I believe Cristiano Ronaldo is greater than Lionel Messi, both at international and club level. Ronaldo has played in four different clubs and won trophies at both domestic and international levels. So that has made him the better of the two, says Emma. A Christian Okonko in Nigeria I believes the role of uh, supporting players has an impact in uh, this debate. Ronaldo has played his own part, but he did it with uh, some big uh, players around him at the Euros, says Christian. By comparison, Messi may be struggling in the Copa America. He doesn't have those uh, bigger players around him like Ronaldo does, but Messi still scores in every match to give team success, even if his core players uh, don't always support him massively in the same way that others support Ronaldo. For me, says Christian, Messi is not to be rated under Ronaldo. Now, Peter in Kenya speaks for many when he says deciding between the two players is very hard. Right now, these guys are equal, says Peter. Whenever Ronaldo scores, Messi also scores. So those two are equal. But if I must choose between the two, I will give my vote to Ronaldo because his performance has been very good at the Euros. And the final word today goes to Philip in the Gambia, who says, honestly, I don't compare the two when it comes to football, because they are both from a different planet. And that's simply because Ronaldo trains harder to get what he has, and Messi is naturally gifted, and that's why I don't compare the two, says Philip. So uh, there you have it, uh, Steve. I guess we didn't really expect to settle this debate today, uh, but looking at the hundreds of responses we received overall, the vast majority of our correspondents this week agree that Ronaldo has done enough to be rated higher than his Argentinian rival.
Right, well, thanks, Ephraim. That's Ephraim Tagu there. Thanks for all of the comments and apologies we didn't have time to read out yours. And as for those who say that it is Ronaldo who's better than Messi, you'll have seen that Ronaldo's two penalties against France on Wednesday took him to 109 international goals, equaling the world record in men's football. And he's now the top scorer in World Cups and European Championships combined. Uh, However, this debate as to who's the greatest will go on and on. Right, this week on social media asking, would you like offside to be decided by computers? We heard this on the show last week that plans are progressing for the English Premier League to use automated technology to decide if a player is offside. Trials have already been carried out at a top flight club in England using a player tracking system which alerts the referee instantly if a player is offside. This would end the long waits that we often have with VAR checks, uh, but the technology is likely to increase the number of marginal offsides because of its precision, where players can be caught offside by just millimetres. Well, similar technology has been successful in sports like tennis and cricket, so would you like offside to be decided by computers? You can post a comment on our Facebook page, that's Planet Sport Football Africa, or send us a WhatsApp to plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. That's plus four four seven nine double five two three two seven eight zero. Would you like offside to be decided automatically by computers? Well, let's go back to Stuart Weir in the UK now. And with the group stage done, the round of 16 of Euro 2020 gets underway on Saturday. Italy, Belgium and the Netherlands all with three wins out of three in the group stage. And the standout ties in the round of 16 are Belgium against Portugal on Sunday and England, Germany on Tuesday. What are your thoughts so far, Stuart? Well, after a slow start, that's 36 games to eliminate eight teams. What a dramatic ending to the group stages. Germany and Hungary drew 2-2, and Portugal and France, also 2-all, meaning that France, Germany, and Portugal progressed from that group. But what high drama in both games. Hungary twice led Germany, and in fact Hungary led for 71 minutes. The France-Portugal game had three penalties, all of them controversial, with the game seesawing back and forth to the extent that Portugal during the 90 minutes, were first, second, third and fourth in the group table at various stages. And Germany were on their way home, but for that 84th minute equaliser. And as you say, the two standout ties are Belgium, number one ranked team in the world, against Portugal, ranked five, and the European reigning champions. England at home to Germany, wow, what history they've got. But remember, Germany were within nine minutes of being eliminated, so they're not as strong as they sometimes have been. And at Wembley, of course, there will be a crowd of 45,000 for that game, rising to 60,000 for the semi-finals and final, we understand. Now, Steve, last week I said there were something like 40 players of African heritage playing in the European Championships this year. Well, I read an article this week from a slightly different perspective, comparing the players playing for the same 12 countries uh, which were in the 1996 European Championships with the current ones. In 1996, there were 19 players who might be categorised as black or mixed race in the 12 country teams. But by 2020, that number had grown to 78 players of black or mixed heritage and that's an average of six per country. Italy is the only one with no black players either in 96 or 
2021. France had seven in 96, but their squad has now grown to have 17 black or mixed ethnic players. I suppose this reflects the number of migrants and refugees who've come to Europe during the past 25 years. Now, Denmark are playing Wales in the last 16 in Amsterdam, and there will be Danish fans, but no Welsh, because the Dutch COVID rules allow foreign visitors to come to Netherlands for 12 hours, but no longer. Fans driving from Denmark can manage to attend the game and be out of the country in 12 hours, but Welsh fans who need a flight to get there have not been able to find two flights in the 12-hour period. Just some Euro facts uh, to give you. Two of the Africans we mentioned have scored. Bril Mbolo, born in Cameroon, uh, has scored for Switzerland. And Romelu Lukaku, son of a Zaire international, has got three goals. We've had eight penalties scored and six penalties missed. And we've had five own goals, two by Portugal in the same game and two by goalkeepers. That's Radecci of Finland and Wozniak Selesny for Poland, the Juventus keeper who was also at Arsenal for eight years. And finally, Steve, I knew you'd want to know that Roberto Mancini gained 36 caps for Italy as a player and Gareth Southgate 57 for England. And both of them equaled the number of caps as a player with the number of games they've managed for their country this week. Oh, really? So Roberto Mancini, the Italy coach, and a Gareth Southgate in charge of England. Thanks a lot, Stuart. It's going to be exciting, I think, the knockout stage of the Euros. That's it for the show for this week. So from me, Steve Vickers, and Ephraim Tagu in Harare, from Ida Waringa in Nairobi, and from Stuart Weir in the UK, thanks a lot for listening. And Planet Sport Football Africa is a passion for sport production.